So I want to discuss digital transformation on tourism and augmented reality and safety checking at crowded sites. And we end up discussing strategies, mindset, and following our passion when we're building a tourism business. Listen to a second out of a series of interviews with Nick Hall, founder of the Digital Tourism Think Tank, where we're looking into the future of tourism and travel industry in Europe in post-COVID world. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, do so now because in the previous episodes you might have missed his insights into the nature of the paralysis of the sector and in the next one which you will get notified about you will hear his own personal sharing of career in digital tourism industry so here we go again thanks nick for being still with us in the previous episode we looked into the whole covid lockdown experience and how tourism millions of uh, small and medium tourism enterprises went through the transformation and who are the more successful ones uh, than the others so if you haven't listened to it yet go and check out the previous episode in this one we go more into the more medium term perspective looking into future proofing of tourism business and what's the technology uh, and its role in the whole story so welcome again nick thank you very much it's great to be back and so the big question is, it's kind of weird to be asking in 2020, why is it so important to run your business through digital transformation process and embrace the power and potential of technology? So instead of asking you the why it's important, maybe can you give us some examples of what are still the biggest myths out there for the companies who reject that opportunity or what is holding them back from really getting it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you, you like to give me a challenge at the start of the interview, I think. Because um, <laughs> I'm sure you've answered the why a million times, so yeah. I think one of the biggest myths is that um, their customers are not online and they're not booking online and therefore digital isn't the right thing for, for that business. So I think that's something I've just heard so much, um, including from very experienced tourism professionals that are responsible for promoting as well. Maybe they focus a lot on the trade. Um, you know, the thing, the thing about being strong digitally is that it just gives us a, a huge extra interface with our customers. And it's true that it's not always about driving digital sales. It's not always about booking online. But if you don't have a strong digital presence, um, then you're kind of missing your shop front and that point of engagement with your customers. One of the things that has really changed is that We've spent so much um, time and effort to try and get businesses to develop their own websites and just to do these basic things, you know, to be bookable. And one of the things that I have seen, and especially in the last three to four years, is that there are a lot of very successful businesses out there that operate successfully, even quite large businesses, with no website. Now, this is absolutely not my recommendation. I, I Maybe really- Maybe it applies for the super luxurious traveling where it's million dollar trades done on the personal network level, no? Exactly, well, yes, you've, okay. got, you've got kind of different groups. Of, you've got those that are super strong on word of mouth. And, you know, channels like Facebook have just become so important and powerful for them because it, it supports that word of mouth discovery. And you know, whether that's reviews or whether that's people sharing their experiences, it's been really, really powerful for them. And then there's others like you, you mentioned on the luxury scale that focus on highly personalized um, individual one-to-one -one recommendations and contact with their customers. And they're using digital channels to do that. 
um, in Asia, and it's a little bit less the case here, but it's certainly still quite, quite a lot the case, especially with the really small businesses. Using messaging, WhatsApp and things like that has maybe allowed them to leapfrog some of those major digital channels. And you know, because of the demand from customers, they engage directly with customers uh, through those channels. And personally, I booked from a restaurant the other day. I went to their website, and they were on Uber Eats and Deliveroo's, as a lot of them are. And I saw they had a WhatsApp number, and I messaged them, and I said, hey, uh, it's great that you've got WhatsApp, and um, can I order through here? And they were so, so happy. And I said, you, you guys should promote this more, because yeah. it's just about engaging with customers in the channels that they're most familiar and comfortable with, and then building that sense of loyalty. So it's certainly not all about the website, and it's certainly not all about having a transactional bookable experience, but these, are really, these will really help. So I would like to say that with a, an air of caution, that um, there's certainly not a green light to say, hey, forget the website. This, this is your, your only digital brand asset that you fully own. All the others are kind of borrowed assets on other people's channels, and that's, where the, that's why it's so important. And also, we are not promoting any particular platforms here, right? Exactly, um, yeah. You know, I've been thinking, obviously, the, the digital presence, the, the marketing and client engagement part of digitalization of your business is kind of the obvious first reflex that everybody has when we think about digital transformation of a company. Now, if we look at the whole life cycle, the value chain of delivering a travel experience. It's from the booking and the engagement with the travel agent, but then there's the consumption and then there's the aftercare also. Uh, where do you see the innovation going there? And we've been discussing again in the previous episode, how does digital empower in the post COVID world, making our travel experiences more safe or giving us that feeling of safety in terms of like managing the social distancing and, and booking of the experiences again in, in kind of real time in the sightseeing context. But what are the parts of the travel experience that seem to be overlooked and where are the opportunities for digital or technological transformation that we typically don't see? Yeah, I think for a small business, um, it's very, they're very often focused on the middle part of that uh, visitor cycle. So as you mentioned, we go from awareness to discovery when we understand more, uh, through to learning more and planning, through to booking, and then experiencing and using social and sharing, uh, through to loyalty, and, and that's newsletters and things like that. A lot of small businesses focus almost entirely on the transaction, and they focus on the booking. And, and sometimes they only pick up the relationship with their customers once a booking is received through another platform. So they have very, very little opportunity to control the way in which their services, uh, their experience is provided digitally, um, the engagement and relationship with their customer, and therefore the opportunity to upsell or to build a relationship with their customer. So I think, you know, from a small business perspective, pretty much any business perspective actually, trying to broaden that customer journey and try to engage on more parts of the customer journey is, is a really key opportunity. Going right to the very beginning, which is awareness. Um, the, the trouble with that is the early stage, the awareness building, that's long-term, and that's a very long-term strategic investment. You can work on creating an image and an identity and using all the digital capabilities to do that, but you might not see the business from that directly. You might have real difficulty in tracing any business from that. Um, and so for a small business, you might struggle to justify it and feel like it's not working. 
So it does require um, a journey. You need to go on a journey and you need to stick with that and you need to believe that continuing to create an image for, for your experience and to create brilliant content and to tell your own story and to use digital to get that story out there is really key. Now, where technology can really be very powerful in those early stages is how you deliver that. So um, a lot of small businesses have found that they can go, uh, they can create live stream content with their customers really easily. And this is just like one example of how using the technology that we have in our pockets, it's there and, and we can do it with a bit of support on how to do that and how to make it work for them. You can see businesses making brilliant content which actually supports that awareness and raises their profile as a business. Um, and then I think at the absolute other end of the scale, and there's, there's a lot in, in between, you know, simple things like newsletters and customer databases is very boring, but it's very, very effective and powerful, especially if people come to your business because of your passion, then it's a great way to say, you know, we hope you enjoyed the experience. We want to keep sharing with you what we do and what we offer. And, you know, that will result in returning visitors. And especially right now, where we're increasingly going to be focusing on visitors who have an affinity with us, uh, visitors who already know us, and people in our community who might be aware of what we do as a tourism business but have never experienced that, now is an opportunity to use loyalty to build that relationship. And maybe they'll come back again and again and again. So uh, what I'm starting to feel as I hear you is that overwhelm that any entrepreneur is likely to have if they are listening to because as we've been saying before these are typically one two three people companies where they've built a lifestyle or a business around their passion they want to be delivering it they don't want to go down the rabbit hole of managing databases of their clients right and so if i try to tune into like there's so many hours in the day during which we have to manage the strategy and outreach and our Facebook channels and deliver the product and then reach back. How, how do you coach uh, a tourism entrepreneur where it's all on their own shoulders? Is there, for instance, examples of what they typically tend to spend more time on, which what is the stuff that they should start dropping in order to create that mental space to develop these new avenues of engagement? Yeah, I think, um, I think it really comes down to introducing things in the day-to-day -day, uh, way in which they work, and both introducing new tools that can help them to work better and more efficiently, uh, but also introducing techniques or opportunities which can be tested. And uh, in the last episode, we talked about the need to test and the need to accept that you might fail as well. Um, I can give you an example. I worked with a um, local, um, well, it's a local kind of farm food supermarket, it's, so it's all about the local environment and everything is, uh, everything is fresh um, and just really incredible. It really represents the region and they are, as much as a food business, they're a tourism business because people who visit the area just visit that just to see that amazing produce. Um, and so building that relationship with customers who know them and are aware of them is really key. Um, and we. One of the things that worked really well and we've done with a lot of businesses is one-to-one -one business coaching and actually just giving them the time to listen and understand this context and their situation. Um, there's so many programs and there's so many things which kind of mass deliver, um, but businesses are individual and they're based on an entrepreneur. And they're, you know, as we said in the last episode, some have a passion to live a lifestyle and some have a passion to grow a business. And so it's quite hard to just roll out programs. It's, 
there's an infinite amount of free training available online. Um, so that's not what's needed. It's, it's really supporting them. In the case of this business, we did two things. We looked at together um, how to plan and organize everything that needs to be done using some really great digital tools uh, that can just save a lot of time and bring other people onto that. So that's certainly part of digital, uh, digital transformation was the collaborative part of that and having a digital collaborative team rather than just notes and notepads, which is good, but doesn't necessarily allow you to, to be consistent. And the other thing was testing new ways of telling a story, um, allowing people in the business, uh, like the butcher or like the person who meets with the customers every day, to tell their story about what they're doing on a daily basis and just handing that over to them. These are people who are absolute digital aliens but with the right support and the right introduction to that, they actually could be great ambassadors for the business. And you know, that's what's happened and, and they've really been very successful. Um, so quite simple things actually. And so I don't want to say that you should be the one leading by example, but if you look at your journey that you went through in the, especially during the COVID period, where there, cause you're providing a digital tourism advisory. So it, I mean, it's not the travel experience that you're providing, but you're a part of the ecosystem to some extent, which were the opportunities that you've discovered for yourself and how have you shifted your operations during the lockdown? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And one that requires some humility to answer. I think um, what, what we realized on day one, before there was a full lockdown, is that things were, were getting really tricky for us. Um, we had events planned and we were literally about to launch them and our business depends uh, around 40 to 50% on events and we couldn't launch them even. So we suddenly saw our year's revenue just um, you know, frozen and unable to do anything. So we immediately went into a process where we had people in the team develop uh, a kind of how might we a uh, series of workshops which we did internally where we brainstormed on what we could do but you know there's no doubt about it it was you know kind of panic mode what do we do we're running out of time is this going to go is it going to get worse is it going to get better um you know and the ultimate question we were asking is do we postpone do we move it do we change it and we just didn't know what to do um so that was really challenging and we created um we created a, a kind of table in the office um, where we all got together this is before everybody was saying we have to social distance and we huddled around the table and we we created a two-hour daily session um, on top of or aside from our daily you know normal work and we just put it in the calendar as x war room x which was basically the only name we could give it which was basically our crisis room um, it's like a crisis bunker and we just worked intensively every single day we stood up we said, okay, what are we seeing? What's happening? What do we know? And what can we do? And then we worked on solutions. And we turned around a completely new format for the event, uh, for all of our events, which we're about to launch. So that's something that we started right then um, and we've carried through to today. Um, and yeah, it requires a kind of investment because you know, we've had to create a completely new model and we don't know if it's going to work. Um, then through that process, we launched lots of other things out of that war room. Um, we launched podcasts, we launched a weekly call, we launched a whole new series of newsletters, we created packs for businesses uh, with recovery plans, we offered free membership to the whole tourism industry. Um, 
And what we saw was just an enormous, enormous uptake and the engagement on everything we put out just skyrocketed. And, you know, it led us to ask difficult questions about why this is happening now and why we hadn't seen that level of engagement before. And actually, we, we were always sort of relatively happy, maybe sometimes disappointed with engagement, despite, you know, this is what we talk about with businesses. Sometimes there was this, you know, frustration or disappointment, you know, why don't we get always the number of click-throughs on our newsletter or the number of shares on a post? And, you know, these are, I think, questions that every business has. Um, and sometimes quite difficult to answer. And then during this period, none of those questions were there. We, we were only asking why are so many people sharing it and why are so many people running towards us when we're doing this? What are we doing differently? And I think the thing is, we... Which is the big question that every entrepreneur is asking themselves all year round, right? So it's just exactly. scaled into a new level of frustration when you see everything being on hold and you're doing so much work and exactly. it doesn't necessarily transform into immediate results. Exactly. So that's, that's the next thing. So what we saw is that people ran towards us, the engagement uh, went through the roof. Um, and, you know, on the whole, it's been very positive and we've learned from this uh, what, what content works. And what we understood is that two things happened. One, we showed our determination and we showed very, very, in a very strong way that we needed and we wanted to help our customers. And that was a message which was appreciated, first of all, that we wanted to do that. And that means a lot, actually, that people can see that you make that effort. We had a lot of individual emails from, from you know, like, for example, last week we had Hong Kong Tourist Board say, um, we can see you guys have really, really uh, worked hard and scaled up. You know, this is just a message that comes out of the blue. And it's really humbling to see that. On the other hand, um, how does that translate into business? And I think, you know, that's, a, that's the second difficult question. What did we do wrong before? And why have we been able to engage somehow more authentically um, by the pressure of, of failure, the pressure not to succeed, drove us to give something directly responding to what people needed rather than trying to sell people something. The second stage for us has been much harder because um, the, we've seen an industry paralyzed and so now we're asking questions, well, why do they not always, why does that not convert? Um, how do we bring those very interested people and turn them into custom? And, um, you know, we still don't have the answers for that. And I think it goes back to continuing to try and learn from that. Uh, we've had to scale down to be a smaller team. So it's harder now to sustain the volume that we had. Um, but that small team, we, we call it the HAT, the Hyper Agile Team. And um, that small team, which is now just three people, are aiming to maintain the same volume of a team of eight. Um, and at the same time, that team is, is more, even more resolute on uh, understanding what people need and continuing to design the solutions we have, we're building, uh, the event that I mentioned that we redesigned right at the beginning. Uh, continue to design uh, around people's needs. So sometimes the pressure of failure, and I, I don't know what the out, you know, what the end result here will be, but I think sometimes the pressure um, forces you to look at things differently. And what it's done with us, so, something as simple as an event where we need people to buy tickets and we need sponsors to buy sponsorships, and they're both frozen right now. They both say we have no income and we can't spend any money. 
So it's forced us to look at very radical business models where we say to them, well, what would you pay for? How would you pay for it? And how can we give you something that will help you grow your business? And of course, we've always thought that our solutions help them grow their business. But now we're asking them directly, how do we help you with your business? So it goes right back to, you know, what are our customers' needs and how do we, how are we able to support them as a business? I think that's a lesson that can apply for every single business. It's unbelievable how I would always, I mean, I would tend, I would want, I wanted to have a conversation about digital transformation of the sector and we end up going into business strategies all the time. Is this... <laughs> Is this the way it is? Is this also how your education and consulting journey with the travel companies looks like? That they approach you to fix their technological side and you end up going into discussing mindset and strategies? Yeah, I think um, my kind of expertise and experience has always been based on, on technology and digital. Um, I, I launched the first kind of travel podcast, which was really successful, and that got me into everything else after that. Um, what I have seen over and over again over the years, I've done a lot of keynotes on digital trends, uh, transformation. I've spoken so much about the advent of new technologies, and I'm personally very excited by it. And we could have a long conversation about what, you know, what could be possible and how things could be done in the future. Uh, but when businesses, and when businesses come and they ask for support and they ask about a new technology or what technology should I be using, Basically, it's the wrong question to ask because technology is there to solve or serve a purpose. But if you don't know what your purpose is or if you don't know what you're trying to solve, then technology serves no purpose. And, you know, what is important when it comes to digital and technology is understanding the capability, understanding what is possible and understanding what tools are at your disposal to use. And of course, data is, is, has huge potential. Um, you know, organizing and understanding customer data, collecting data is really, really huge um, and, and doing that in the right way. So GDPR is also just as one example of how data has changed, has forced us to also ironically go back to these simple questions about how we use data, not just exploiting it for its maximum potential. But it's, a, you know, that has also been a question of we need to ask our customers for permission we need to ask our customers if they are happy for us to use their data and explain to them that using that data, uh, we will use that data to improve their experience. You know? And even uh, these kind of things go right back to the customer, the human behind it, and how we kind of leverage that. And it's the same as something like AR technology. AR has so much potential to create hybrid digital experiences. If you walk in, in the woods, for example, to follow an AR trail and discover... Augmented reality for those who don't know the... Yeah, augmented reality, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, discovering through the lens of your phone um, the, the, all the nature around you and, and following a trail and you can almost create product um, where there isn't product uh, because of digital. Um, you can create this kind of digital product in a real environment. So what we're going to see... Yeah, sorry, what we're going to see is definitely technology and real life just increasingly becoming woven together so that actually we don't really see technology. Um, but you can't apply technology without understanding what purpose it can serve.
Yeah. And so to zoom uh, back to our European conversation, because this is uh, mainly uh, intending to address European audience and the new leadership that we can bring into the European space. How far do you think we are in embracing these new possibilities and vision as European companies? Because, again, it can be very overwhelming seeing what the technological possibilities are and the Western end of the world, maybe seeing the policy innovation that we see from places like Singapore in supporting the transformation and, and the entrepreneurs. How far are we in, in Europe? How competitive are our small and medium enterprises in embracing these opportunities? Um, it's a very interesting question because I think right now we see the world advancing but moving in different uh, moving apart again after maybe coming together for the last 20 to 40 years. We see the world moving apart in different, uh, with different values and different, um, you know, different beliefs about the, you know, society. Um, and I think in, in Europe... What do you have in mind? Well, without kind of uh, moving this into a political context too much. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, if you're speaking the big politics or values in terms yeah, really of the tourism yeah. travel product. I think really, um, you know, macro level politics, because actually I think when we look at consumers, um, maybe there's not so much difference between uh, people all over the world. I think we, we know that, um, you know, the kind of human instinct and human wish for, for certain things is, is actually, you know, the same everywhere. But, um, but what we see is, you know, how governments approach technology really is varying in a very big way. And so you've got some governments which see the potential and see the potential um, maybe beyond how we in Europe have seen the potential um, to control and to, um, to use data and to basically um, have a, effectively a reading on every single action, interaction, behavior, sentiment, change, um, you know, right through to things like facial recognition, which, which means we can also see where people go and log that in databases. So, you know, that is, um, that's, that's one end of, of technology. And I think what, what's happening in Europe is really, really positive because I think there is a very strong uh, sense of um, civil liberty, um, a very strong sense of duty to citizens to protect them and to protect their privacy. And this has been, you know, at, really at the forefront of how the, the EU, for example, has shaped its policy. And I think it's not always understood very well by consumers um, or just regular um, citizens. Um, but, but, but there is this strong sense of working to protect um, their, their kind of private life, if you like. That has contributed to the huge growth in travel in Europe. You know, um, just very simple steps that have been taken. Um, you know, the open skies, for example, and then coupled with that, those companies who have embraced technology by creating digital businesses. You know, Ryanair is a perfect example of an airline that just was one of the first to go fully online and to just actually penalize customers for using non-digital methods, which you could argue is not necessarily a progression, but it's a good example of um, new products and that result of that sort of example means that air travel became more accessible because it became more affordable because they were able to bring down the costs. But with everything, there's, there's pros and cons, you know, 
that maybe comes at the cost of jobs, but it maybe comes at the benefit of other jobs. So yeah, totally. the, yeah, I feel like we're going deeper into Brussels policy conversation <laughs> yeah. away from business strategies, which again is a great transition to our next episode uh, where we will look into your personal story of you as a digital tourism entrepreneur and also your engagement with the European policy making world here in Brussels. So. For those of you listening to us, don't hesitate to click on follow and subscribe to be notified about the next episode. And we look forward to speaking to you next week again. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. Don't leave yet. Thanks for being part of this conversation. Now there's still a couple of action points. Leave your likes and comments underneath this interview to see what are the pending questions. Share this with everybody around you because we are all part of the tourism, travel and hospitality industry in one role or another. And last but not least, click on the subscribe button so that you are notified about future episodes, either on YouTube, on the channel of myself, Lucia Kleštincova, or on all podcast apps as Lights on Europe.